Welcome to the Ethics Movement. This is a show about ethics and compliance and how we're making the world a better place. I'm Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. And I'm Philip Winterburn, Chief Strategy Officer at Conversant by OneTrust. On today's episode, we will talk about creating a brand for your helpline to drive deeper engagement and better speak-up rates. Plus, we'll have a chat about planning for long-term sustainability and social responsibility. We cover all that and more in today's conversation with Peter Stone, Head of Business Integrity, and Rachel Newth, Global Business Integrity Manager at Reckitt, a global consumer goods company. Philip, let's dive in. Okay, so Pete and Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Um, let's jump straight into the conversation and get started on this uh, rebranding exercise that you went through when you relaunched your program. Um, love to understand the thinking behind that, um, where it started, and what's the why? Why rebrand? What was it? What was the reasoning behind that? Well, we were very, very new um, as a team of compliance. Um, we started in. Q1 of 2018, uh, the Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer started building the compliance team. Um, having got into the business, I joined in the July, and we kind of had a look at what we were, you know, trying to do some deep dives into the statistics and the numbers and what we were actually seeing that was being reported. And the information was very uh, minimal. There wasn't a great deal of uh, description to the cases and the case numbers were extremely low. We conducted benchmarking um, as part of an annual process and found that we were significantly lower than other companies. And we really were just kind of looking at opportunities on how can we improve this. And, and it just took, it started with literally walking around uh, the building, Turner House, and noticing that you can't actually see any of the posters. We had like the health and safety notice boards. You had, you know, those community notice boards where you've got your for sales of bikes and things like that. And then just hidden in the background was a A4 speak up poster on a piece of printed out white paper uh, with some small pictures on it. Uh, but it wasn't very clear. It wasn't, it didn't really stand out and it, it didn't inspire anything. Um, and it just kind right. of got lost. And yeah. And so from that point, we kind of decided that, you know, this is an opportunity for us to really start driving uh, awareness of it and how best can we do that. Um, and so we were engaged with some other companies at the time anyway on some other matters uh, to discuss sort of promotions and uh, materials. And we kind of floated the idea, just floated the idea to start with of, you know, what could you do for us to rebrand? And that was what started it. Fascinating. And so the, the the process that you went through, because I know that the, the end result is very dramatic, so it's, it's phenomenal to see. So I'm, I'm interested if you can take us through the process of how you came up with that branding and and why that branding was chosen. Um, you know, Reckitt has a lot of brands itself as a company, right? So you have a very clear brand of the company too. And so just talk us through that process and how, how you came up with that end result. So we, it was kind of one of those ones where we were sat in the office, uh, literally having coffee, and there was a group of us. And I suppose all of us would say that we weren't overly creative. We weren't marketeers. We were, you know, legal compliance, investigation experts, not necessarily uh, marketeers, as I say. 
but it was bizarre because we kind of sat there and we all started just brainstorming and it was you know the whole team we just sat there having a coffee and a bit of a catch-up and I think we came up with a variety of uh, weird and wonderful ideas. Uh, there were some superhero themed ones where you would walk into the bathroom and there'd be like a template of a superhero and your head would match in with theirs. And it was about do, you know, about speaking up. And so they'd have a speak up logo instead of like a Superman logo. Um, it was all very, you know, and it was one of those conversations that I want to say snowballed, but just kind of developed very quickly we were looking at you know how can we really make a really big bold statement and as you say we've got a lot of brands we've got a lot of products we have, we use a lot of bright bold colors how can we make our posters stand out how can we make sure that we are seen in you know with the pinks and the colors that we have at Reckitt uh, and RB as it was at the time how do we compete with those to get you know people's eyes and draw their attention and we we were looking at you know taking over the lifts and creating these visual effects we did get a little bit carried away with it um it, it was almost just giving a, a child some blank paper and some finger paint because we were going all over the place and then it literally we were sat around and somebody just mentioned you know what about what about going with you know these sort of comic book style graphics um, and Liechtenstein, you know, very colourful, very, very bright, bold, still kind of keeping the essence of that boldness of Reckitt's colours, but kind of still very separate, very different, unexpected, you know, unexpected to what you would expect from a legal, you know, whistleblowing yeah. line. Uh, you know, let, let's take the stigma away from it and let's make it something that catches people's eyes and makes them talk you know and that was kind of where it went I would just add though at the time uh, maybe a different perspective at the time I wasn't part of ethics and compliance so I was just your average employee you might say and I would agree like before I didn't really have that much knowledge of speak up or the program it was very lost in everything else like Pete said on the notice boards but even the emails even the site on um ruby our intranet site it was really kind of like just another thing that blended into the background which you know as a portfolio of a brand that that works but actually in terms of its purpose to get people to understand what it is um it wasn't effective so when it was rebranded and it's like oh hey that's that thing and then you kind of it it just piqued interest of your average employee i say in inverted commas but it was effective because it was different. Um, so it was like a, people that didn't know anything about Speak Up suddenly was like, that's caught my eye for whatever reason, whether it was the pretty colors and the brightness, the bold branding, whatever it was, but it draw, it drew eyes to what it was yeah. as, a, as, a, as a service, as a platform. Um, and so it, it did a lot more and it was much more than just a rebrand. I would say it was it's not just a case of what it looks like, although obviously that is very important. But for different people, I guess, in different and on different steps of awareness of the speaker, it, it did different things. It either got them into, oh, that's what that is or, oh, that's a really good advancement or, you know, it, it really did kind of take people aback positively or otherwise, but 
that's the point. Yeah. That's kind of the point is to be a bit provocative with it because you want people to understand what it is, how to use it, because there were people prior to that rebrand that may have seen, witnessed, heard about things that they should report, but they might be thinking, I don't actually know what I do with this information because that service was so camouflage it's kind of like well no wonder the reports are lower than it should be because there's not really a lot to trigger you know I've seen something I've heard something to then I need to say something that kind of link was very dull I suppose or non-existent so from a from an outside of ethics and compliance perspective at the time I thought very effective yep excellent Pete before we move on you raise a point that I, I want to take a couple of minutes to explore. And it's that in 2021, many compliance professionals are being told you need to have access to data. You need to look at data. You need to have the data before you make a decision. But what I heard you say was this is compliance and the compliance professional can still use common sense. And your common sense was you went to the break room and you saw the poster in the back with no notice, uh, just part of a group of information as broad as your rights to wage an hour to automobiles that are for sale, and perhaps even some pictures of children playing in the street. And that compliance professionals, I think, forget about, you know, you can still use common sense and you can still have uh, just your observations form a basis of your decision. and. Uh, Philip and I are two of the leading advocates of data and data analytics, but the way this started, it seems to me, is an excellent example of uh, using your eyes and ears and at least asking questions from it. So I just wanted to, when I heard you say that, it just struck me that this was the most common sense way to see if something is working. And, you know, short of picking up a phone and calling the hotline and seeing if it gets a working number. Uh, I thought that was a really important insight. So I just wanted to, to bring that up before we get into uh, the contributions and then uh, where, or, or rather the results you've seen since relaunching, I think is a really significant yeah. point. Common sense still exists. Absolutely. And so sticking with that for a moment, one of the, uh, one of the challenges many organizations face when they try and do these things is as soon as you start trying to brand your, your helpline or your program is the corporate hammer comes down and it's like, no, no, that's not part of the company brand. That doesn't fit. That's, that's, you're not sticking with our styles and guidelines. It's the sort of thing Jenna says to me when I try and put a PowerPoint slide together. So did, did you run into any of those sorts of barriers as you were putting this together, did the organization say, no, come on, that's that's not Wreck-It, or was it embraced? How, how, did, how did that go down? And how, if you did face those challenges, how did you overcome them? I think we were, firstly, we were really fortunate in that the Chief Excellence Compliance Officer was extremely supportive of, you know, the, the whole process. Um, it, it did take a little bit of convincing to show what we felt would be the benefits and, and kind of using uh, that common sense and then backing it up with some of the data and stats. So we kind of had support from the outset. Um, in terms of the business, I think we were very well supported regionally. Um, I think it's clear to say that, you know, our regional compliance teams were also very young um, in terms of time in, they, in those particular roles. Uh, the regions were, it, there was a little bit of a state of flux, I suppose, for a lot of the regions just being established 
with all the changes that have taken place. We, we may not have necessarily uh, complied with the uh, branding guidelines. Um, and as a result of that, it, it did raise some uh, eyebrows. Um, and we also had to be aware of, you know, some of the perceptions of some of the posters as well. Um, because of the style of them, we, we obviously took a lot of consideration when launching those styles uh, in China, for instance, um, because we got a lot of feedback in the style of that with some of the material that they've seen in the past as propaganda, for instance. Uh, we also had some challenges with uh, personal opinions on some of the imagery used. You know, there's one where uh, a man's whispering into or is talking into a female's ear. Um, and there were some concerns raised about, you know, what it could be into, how it could be interpreted. But what yep. we found was that more than anything, the positivity of the posters was that they created conversations. People were talking about what they were seeing and how they were interpreting it. So it wasn't just about the fact that there was a poster there. It was, it was showing the difference in how people reacted to something as simple as a poster and how that could be. And it was very much embraced by senior leaders um, across the business. Um, and there was quite a number of regional town halls that would be conducted with the big banners and posters in them. Um, so I think there were, would we do it the same way again? Possibly not. We would probably be more aligned with our corporate branding now because I think what we've achieved is what we needed to. We created that big bang moment. And I think if we were to rebrand again, we, would need, we wouldn't necessarily need that at this moment in time. And we could kind of align with more of corporate branding. But if it was a similar situation again, I think 100% it was the right course of action. And I think the results speak for themselves. Rach, I don't know if you've yeah. got a thought on that. Yeah, I would say, for us to then have the conversation now about maybe a year's time having a different brand of for the speaker hypothetically or otherwise it, we wouldn't have that conversation if we didn't have the big bang brand uh bold looking colors very uh contrasting to what we had before so it, it and we wouldn't have the talk because i always think like even if you had zero awareness even if you're just talking about the posters that you've seen like it's kind of like the um like the no such thing as bad press type of uh phrasing it, it it like pete said it was still being talked about and and that's what needed to happen because it was coming from a very from a a realistic perspective it was coming from a really underrepresented thing that wasn't talked about so much it was like a a footnote on a report somewhere on a quarterly basis it's a really low impact uh kind of thing the time and then it was like well this is changing you know we've got this ethics of compliance function it's now owned there needs some uh what's the word needs some power behind it but we need to build that awareness and engagement as well you know there's multi facets of of the entire program um so yeah i don't i don't think we'd be where we are kind of now talking about brand if we hadn't started there if that makes sense yeah. Have you seen any adoption of the characters from the cartoons? Uh, because I, we have another client who 
created a cartoon strip and they had two characters, Ethical Alice and Unethical Ethan, if I remember correctly. And uh, she said the time when she realized that they'd really hit it was when she was walking past some people in a corridor and they, she overheard someone say, well, what would Ethical Alice say about that? <laughs> and like the, the organization that adopted and, and sort of consumed the characters. I personally, like I personally haven't, but I... No, I must admit, I don't think... Know. <laughs> Yeah, um, we haven't seen, or I haven't seen anything similar, um, which I'm, I'm, I'm almost jealous of now. Yeah, um, but, disappointed. But actually. I have seen, I have fortunately seen people do use the posters at times, and and have referred back to sort of some of the icons and uh, the, the uh, you know, for one of them we have somebody almost holding holding like the the scales of truth and balancing yep. doing the right thing with what else is there, and I've seen that used by business leaders as well when they're describing you know following on with the message of the business so that's that's always encouraging and and people have used a lot of the you know when they're creating their own decks and presentations to talk about this speak up stuff uh, more locally they will use a lot of the imagery that we've used to keep that uh, branding going so it's that's a, again another positive that's been a key thing for me that I have been almost obsessive about is the brand and it almost like you know how our corporate comms are like the brand of wreck it I'm like the brand of speak up if we are talking about speak up we have to have uniform uniform imagery logos obviously you put that on the templates that we have from a corporate perspective but if we're if we're looking at uh, presentations to leadership or whatever it is in your regional forums in-country forums it's like at least there's a, a similarity so we still have that identity and that remains consistent because then I personally was conscious of it, it was big bold branding and then it, it just gets kind of lost uh, and, and I was like you need to keep reinforcing it that's the identity that's what we're talking about so when you see that type of imagery we all know what we're here to talk about and so it's a little bit more identifiable I guess and it's I guess just concreting the service really it's not kind of lost and we make it very easy for people who whoever might be involved in speak up to access any imagery that we have it's shared it's we have a teams it, it's like anything we can give you to send that out is is what we will do we want to be sharing but we want to be uniform so at least we're all on the same literal page um, but I it, think it is important because it does get diluted if it kind of detracts away from what it's supposed to be and we're still in that now the awareness is better but you want to you want to keep that you want to keep that momentum going so it's an important piece uh, if I could jump in and, and talk about or at least ask what are some of the specific results uh, Rachel and Pete that you have seen since your uh, launch? I think for me, and I'll take the first part and then I think Rachel can probably follow up on the second part. For me, it's been the first and foremost, the increase in the volume of cases. Um, I think from now we launched the campaign in a phased approach. The justification for that was so that not only were we raising awareness of the speak up service, but I was also conducting a lot of the speak up investigation training so I was going around to the regions to offer the training so that if we did, as we anticipated, see an uptick in reports, we could be uh, comfortable in the fact that 
all of our investigators, all of those people involved in investigations would be doing those investigations the same way and that we had the resources there to be able to do it. So we launched the campaign in, I believe it was October, November 2019. And we instantly saw uh, an increase in the region. We launched in LATAM and delivered the training in the same month. And we saw an increase of cases being reported um, quite a lot. Uh, I think there were around 50 cases uh, reported in that last quarter uh, alone, which was unheard of previously. And then I think, so for us, 2018 ended up around 290 cases. We continued the rollout for the first three to four months of 2019. Um, again, rolling out the posters, rolling out the training and the awareness, and also providing quarterly updates. So we were changing how we were reporting on the cases. We were very much bringing it to the businesses, uh, you know, front and center. We weren't necessarily just providing uh, a, a, a report, a Word document. It was now a PowerPoint. It was colorful. It was impactive. It was showing the numbers. I think for 2019, we had over 380 cases, so a huge uh, increase, and we've seen that rise uh, near enough year on year. I think at the moment, the last two years, we've had a consistent amount around about 450, but we've definitely seen the increase. What we've also seen is the business taking on board and adopting you know, the recommendations more, uh, being more aware of these investigations, the transparency. We've been a lot more, while still maintaining confidentiality, we've engaged with the business far more than ever before. Uh, we very much utilise them to support us in some of these investigations and our understanding around it. And I think, I think the positives continue to come through. Our anonymous reporting rate is currently, I think, the lowest it's ever been, um, but we're still seeing the volume in cases. And it just reminds me, one of my predecessors was very keen on making sure that, you know, if you are looking to reduce the anonymous reporting rate, that you're not scaring people off of actually still reporting. So it's really pleasing to see that we're still getting the same volume of reports. It's just that anonymous report rate is dropping and people are feeling more trust in the system to come forwards. Rachel? Yeah, I would also say that the, the service has generally benefited massively from general cultural advancement of the business. Uh, so as the leaders, our CEO, executive committee are more vocal about our values. I mean, now we have the compass, which is very well embedding into the business. But before it, I guess, wasn't as talked about compared to now. It, it's never been more talked about, more referenced. The code of conduct has never been so referenced. The, the whole, I guess, overarching topic of ethical behavior, um, doing the right thing has never been more of a, a key topic. So obviously that's majorly beneficial for us because that's, that's kind of our, our piece is, is we want to know about when it's not going that way. And so we can raise awareness to say, you know, we've set the tone from the top, literally, to say, you know, these are our, this is our code of conduct. This is what we expect. This is how we should be behaving. We want to be caring. We want to be all of these good things from a, 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 a cultural perspective. Um, and we can kind of say, but if that isn't the case of what you're seeing and you don't think that's an authentic representation of what, you know, the behaviors are in your business area, regardless of what they are, 
this is where you can come. And I think we've also benefited in our narrative. When we are then going back to leadership teams, we are able to draw in cultural insights um, in, in certain locations. For example, our most named reporters uh, are also our most reporting countries. On top of that, we can see from our engagement surveys that they are our most engaged regions, just generally. So we can kind of layer up these insights and just build a bit more of a picture of what we're seeing. Obviously, we have a very unique perspective, um, but it's about bringing that to leadership and not letting them be frightened of it. Say, so, look, you're talking about doing the right thing. You're talking about all these values and behaviours. You have to expect them. If people aren't abiding by that, they're going to call it out. But also, that's just generation generationally the way you know our talent is going. Or people are going in business. They want to solve problems. They want to be. Uh, progressive they want solutions so we've kind of had this nice cyclical as the business has increased their evolved the culture we've been able to then evolve with them so it's it's kind of like give and take a lot and the, the shift I would say is around action <laughs> I'm gonna say this I was quite critical when I joined Pete's team I was like look what are the actions that you're trying to get like I understand that you want to be feeding back case studies you want to be feeding back data reports stuff but what do you want people to do when they hear this do you want them to just sit there and go oh yeah like <laughs> blankly what what's the call to action that you're trying to get people to take because now is the time to push it forward and say look I want to be your business partner in compliance and I'm giving this information not just because you've asked me to but because I have a very unique view it's a very unique cultural indicator and I think there's some actions that you can take from this information um, and that then feeds into the narrative that we have already of evolving culture so we're trying to inject ourselves into that feedback loop much more carefully um, because there's so much it, um, honestly, when I when I moved into Pete's team, I don't want to make uh, I don't want to go on off on a tangent, but I was like, oh my god, it's like finding a gem in the organisation. I was like, oh, it's so it needs it needs a bigger platform. We need to be thinking right. How do we advance this? Because once that does happen and people realise, especially leaders, like, oh yes, this is very helpful in in our culture, in our region, in our country, they, they will act. But it's like the right story has to be told, the information, we can have all the data in the world, but if that's not positioned and contextualised appropriately, we're missing a trick. So we're like, okay, what, what's the key actions, the key takeaways that we want? What, 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 what impact are we trying to make when we present this now? We've got to think a bit more uh, strategically in that manner. Yeah, Rachel, I think it'd be really useful for our audience uh, to understand your background because your your background is not ethics and compliance right <laughs> and so you're you're bringing a different perspective um to to this profession and so maybe you could just share it just very briefly obviously i'm going on a huge tangent but I, I just want the audience to, to appreciate the value of bringing in people with a different background a different skill set and a different perspective um, that can actually transform their program so maybe just just give us a little idea of where, where do you come from so I have been with RB for almost five years, four and a half years, and previous, I've been in my role working with Pete for the last 18 months, but previous to that, I was a HR business partner and a talent manager in our CHQ HR team. And in all of those roles prior to ethics compliance, a lot of the focus has been leadership assessment, uh, capability, culture, as you can imagine, 
a wide breadth, but working in, in a really positive way with the leaders in CHQ. So very in touch with what they're saying, how they're feeling, what they think, that, how that kind of trickles around the organization from, from the horse's mouth, literally. Um, and having experienced, you know, those leadership team levels at that, in that kind of forum at that level, you understand what they kind of bite into <laughs> when you're presenting on your quarterly or whatever it is. It's like, we need a bit of that. Um, but also, I think the understanding of just culture in general, uh, leadership and culture, I guess, are the two bits that I'm most enthusiastic about. I can't say that I joined compliance to be a compliance professional. <laughs> I don't know if that's sacrilege or I shouldn't be saying that on your podcast. But I, I, I got we got speaking about because I did speak up training with Pete. And we ended up talking about it and I was like, oh, my God, you need to we need to really get on this. We need to just pick it apart and turn it inside out a little bit. Not literally, but in terms of how it is in the business, there's so many like interconnections that we can for like or forge. Um, and I was like, if I knew this information as a HR business partner, I would be so happy to be receiving it. Obviously, I think there previously was a bit of a stigma to like, oh, I'm really scared to receive that my function or my country has had this amount of reports. That's a negative thing. Whereas I'm like, as a HR business partner, I'm like, I want to know about that because I can feed that into my action, like my, the strategy of the year, the plan, the capability. What it is it's, it's exposing some weaknesses ultimately. And, and a lot of people don't like to hear that, but it needs to be talked about. And it can be addressed really simply, but if you're not willing to listen at the start, it's it's kind of hard to move past that point. So like a lot of what we're doing is how do we make this less scary to people? How do we make it engaging with leaders? You know, what are those bits that they bite onto? Um, how how's it going to resonate with them? How are they literally going to actually do some things that we want them to do or empower them to do them themselves? You know, like look, we'll, we'll give you the scenario, self perspective. It's a very unique view. We can give some suggestions. We can kind of guide and consult. But then it's like, OK, off you go. So, yeah, it, very different background. So I went on a very big tangent there. <laughs> but culture and leadership is kind of like my my sweet spot so if it kind of links to those two things and obviously those two things are massive they're linked and unquestionably so I'm like well, where can we get in that angle on those two topics <laughs> so it's basically what we've tried to be doing and what I've tried to done to do I guess since so be we have a special bonus question for you today it's a little bit different focus but it's something that is increasingly becoming more important literally across the world. And that's Reckitt's 2030 target of a cleaner, healthier world. I wanted to first ask uh, about that, how you hope to move towards that, but also what's the role of compliance ethics and integrity in achieving such a goal? I think it's a fantastic question. And I think it's something that is an amazing uh, element of the business at the moment for us to watch grow. Um, I think there's some fantastic teams that are working on the whole picture for this and developing it. And I think what we've seen over probably the last 18 months is a real ev evolution of it. You know, we've made some very bold statements. Um, we very much We've very much taken, you know, the bull by the horn, so to speak, and, and looked at setting out these uh, plans for the future. And I think we are very much embracing um, a whole multitude of elements to help us towards that. 
Um, I think one of the, you know, looking at, you know, diversity and inclusion, looking at, you know, gender pay uh, reviews and things like that also builds very much and very heavily towards um, that 2030 target alongside the work that we're doing around uh, human rights. Rach, I don't know if you've got anything on that first part before I jump onto the second. Um, well, I would just say we've always had targets, uh, for as far as I can ever remember, we've always had, you know, 2020 targets, 2025 targets, then we've got the 2030 targets, that will always be the case, as like many businesses. Um, obviously, we are a consumer goods business, we are, we are influenced by consumers, and obviously by our own employees who are equally part of that uh, population. So it's, it's, thinking about okay well where's the world going and, and the relevance of our products and the relevance doesn't go away but in terms of people's power to buy it's like well we have to stay on that way that's the way the world's going we need to be agile with that vision um, so those targets are set to be challenging relevant you know all of those good things that mean that we are making sure that what we're doing our products etc and how we serve our consumer ultimately is is how it should be. Um, I think the ethics and compliance role in all of that is more the ethics than the compliance. Um, there will always be things that you can do better or worse. But I think a lot of the conversation from an ethical perspective is we could do, you know, the legal minimum, you know, but could we do more? Like, are we challenging ourselves on the ethical decision making? Is that the right thing to be doing? Could we go further? Um, that's, I guess, the ethics, not just compliance part. Um, we've done a lot in terms of, you know, gender pay gap reporting. We've done a lot in terms of human rights and the systems and the awareness and the capabilities that we have, much like ethics compliance. It's been maturing more so and more so. So as we found our feet and our ground in this space over the last however many years, it's like, well, where do we go? How are we going to really push it, essentially? So I don't... Yeah, kind of end that point there. Back to you, Pete. <laughs> yeah, and I think I just think I was going to say similar to yourself on the ethics and compliance piece. I think it is heavily on the ethics, and you know, not so heavy on the compliance. The compliance is always going to be there, but I think what we can do is really look at how we can support the business um, and our, you know, the other functions, and making sure that when we talk about what we need to do are we looking at the wider picture as well as what that response is you know what if we do it this way what could that look like not from a legal standpoint but from uh, the person on the street looking in saying that company took this decision because of that was it the right thing to do and what we definitely have started doing uh, and Rachel's done some great work on it is we bring a lot of external awareness into the business and just bring that in we've you've seen the social movements and things like that but we also look at what other what's happening in the press with other companies and what's being called out. And a lot of the time, it's not necessarily a legal matter or a compliance matter. It's quite often something that comes to light that's an ethical matter. And so it's very much about making sure that when we are reviewing investigations, for instance, there may be no legal risk per se, but there could be a very substantial ethical risk um, that could actually increase. And I think that's something that we are very much aware of and, and keen to progress, develop uh, and understand more. So, yeah. I would say it, it comes down to accountability as well. I mean, we're very passionate on 
um, like the purpose of our business, you know, protect, heal, nurture. Uh, and it's a case of, well, if that is your purpose, you have your vision, are you putting your money where your mouth is really? And I think as employees and consumers, you kind of expect that from a business. If they're saying, you know, all of these great messages and you want to make sure that the action is there and the accountability is there, that that is really what they're seeking to achieve. And that would be the same for any business. You want that authenticity. You need the match of what is being said and what is being done. Um, it's definitely grown, no question in, in, terms of my, in my experience, and I can't claim to be a, an expert in sustainability for sure, but I, working with that team when I first started in the business versus how it's grown now, it's phenomenal. It's such a positive thing. And I think they're kind of thinking, well, we need to gain traction. We need to get this further. We need to be really clearly linked to our purpose. We need to be really clear about our vision. We have to set really clear goals. And, be accountable for what we're saying essentially and what we're doing so and I think that's a really important ethical message generally because you want to be authentic you want to be seen to and actually do what you've said to be doing and it's not good enough just to say it and write it you have to generally think well I'm going to do it by that date that's when we're going to review it and then we'll set the next set of targets and we'll go on without that kind of deadline then the next set of targets wouldn't be so pushing or whatever it is so it's kind of like a it keeps you challenged in that sense and in a positive way because that's what's necessary for positive change so I think I mean it's a very big concept obviously squeezed into a couple of seconds but I think when you publish goals like that you're making it very pu public and and making it everyone very aware of your intentions and that your intentions match your vision you're working on that same level or on that same line, I should say. Yep, excellent. Well, um, I think we could probably spend a, easily <laughs> another hour talking about all these topics. I heard purpose and leadership and culture, things that both Tom and I have spoken about many times and how that applies, sustainability and the growing influence of that and how ethics and compliance professionals really need to get involved in this sustainability movement. Um, the, the sense of organizational justice where you've seen anonymity rates dropping, I'd love to dig into that with you sometime. Um, but the, the rebranding you did as well, being bold, um, using common sense, and uh, then getting out there and, and backing it up with data to get it validated and reinforced by and supported by management, I thought were all great messages and lessons for our audience. So thank you both so much uh, for joining us. Uh, that was a phenomenal run through of your program and, and where you're going. And it sounds like there's an exciting future ahead for Reckitt as well. So fantastic. Thank yeah, you. thank you for having us. Thank you very much. This is Tom Fox again. Don't forget to subscribe to the Ethics Movement on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify to get notified when we have a new episode. And follow Conversant on LinkedIn for updates on the Converge community and more. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tom Fox. And I'm Philip Winterburn.